Welcome back to the Racial Draft Podcast. I am your regular host, Michael Terrell Ford III, and I am joined by the ladies of ladies. the league. Ladies. Ladies. <laughs> ladies. <laughs> ladies. <laughs> ladies. <laughs> all right, that's all, that's all we can do. But, uh, it's already chaos. It's already chaos. Why doesn't everyone uh, introduce themselves? <laughs> well, hi, everyone. As you know, I sometimes pop on. Uh, Marquis, happy to be on with Mike tonight. Coming to you from my bedroom instead of my closet today to celebrate Ladies' Night. Nice. Uh, S? I am uh, Esther Pena. Call me S. And... Uh, Happy to be here. It's only my second actual episode, even though, you know, I've been all over it, you know, in the background and the Discord and all that kind of fun stuff. But, um, but I'm the captain of the Latinx team. And um, I, I know that normally people drink, you know, alcohol on the show and stuff. But um, because I clearly am just continuing to evolve into an old hippie, um, I've got my 25th anniversary kombucha that I'm about to crack into. Delicious. <laughs> Just making sure I can get through this episode. Okay. Uh, Annie? Hi there. I'm Annie, co-captain of the Jewish team, and also known as Fangirl Smash on the Twitter streets. High Strung Comics Twitter is my brand. <laughs> oh, that was it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was it. I'm being succinct today. May? I'm here to talk about the pics and roast okay. people. Because <laughs> the ladies are in charge. Maybe. All right. Hey, guys. Hey. Um, my name's Monica. I go by May as well. Uh, co-captain of, ooh, recently co-captain oh. of Native American, the Native American delegates. So. Woo! And uh, Kia was here, uh, courtesy Mad Max style from the road. But uh, maybe she'll be joining us in a little bit to uh, round out the ladies of our of our drafting group. But we're also joined by, by a dude. <laughs> <laughs> the interloper. <laughs> Just like at a real club. Yeah, exactly. Just like at a real club. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and Go ahead and um, I mean, I can see if you want. No, no, no. No, we want you. You gotta, no, just gotta, you gotta stay. You gotta stay and get roasted. That's how it works. I'll just be in the back. All right. So that's quiet and uh, shy, Martin from the Latinx yeah. delegation. It is. So, Mike, if I could, um, if I could just add something about uh, about Martin here. So, uh, uh, young Martin uh, just had a birthday. <gasps> yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, and and to celebrate Martin's birthday, you know, I want to make sure that that um, he was on the show today. But also, I wanted to say that um, you know, obviously, I'm the captain of the Latinx team, and you know, it was it was really just me, you know, as far as the team is concerned. You know, I gave you Superman and Wolverine and Doctor Strange and Black Panther, but but really, you know, over the last six weeks or so, Martin and I have been collaborating. We just met on Twitter through this podcast and um and i've been collaborating a bunch on the pics the backstories martin's been bringing all of this uh you know perspective and experience you know from different of different background than mine 
you know, different favorite comic book universes than mine. And so I just wanted to announce for Martin's birthday, he doesn't know this is happening, but I'd like to elect Martin the co-captain of the Latinx team. Congrats. 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 Congratulations. To you, sir. Yes. Thank you. Much. I am drinking uh, ginger ale and, and whiskey right now. Uh, just ginger ale and bourbon, actually. So, I am drinking I'm water. Drinking, me too. I'm driving, so I got Dr. Pepper. Very good. I was about to say, <laughs> we are not, not confessing to anything. <laughs> well played. Maybe next well time, played. maybe next time I'll have a drink, but right now, right I, I, I got to go to Safe Route. You have six <laughs> witnesses. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, have a drink for me. I definitely shall. But um, I guess I guess now's as good enough time to jump in. Um, first of all, uh, what was everyone? Ooh, that was a lot of wind. What was everyone's overall thought about the tenth round? Uh, uh, Marquis, have you been following the picks very closely? Oh, definitely. And can I tell you, Mike? Um, right here at the top, I'm super excited because Aquaman is on the boards and drafted. A dream of mine since my days of loving Entourage. I can't believe the way real life is imitating art. I'm so thrilled. My only regret is that the fan cast didn't pick Adrian. How could we not have picked Adrian for this fan cast? That's my only regret here. Super excited. Well, before we jump into any individual picks, um, I'll just ask, I'll just go around and ask everyone about their overall impressions around. Um, S, let's start with you. Sure. Um, you know, I think the, the deeper it gets, the harder it gets, right? So, you know, early on, it's, it's uh, you know, you, you, you know the big names, you know, you know the, you know, the easy stories and so on. But uh, the deeper as we get into the draft, I think, you know, people have been uh, doing a lot more research, you know, really digging in the crates, not just on the comic book characters, but also on the, on the legends, you know, that they're bringing forward. Um, I think Aquaman's a good example, you know, all, uh, all credit due to Martin on that one. Um, Starfire, I think, is another fabulous example. I mean, I am extremely biased, you know, on the, on the Starfire pick, because I feel like it's basically a, like, remix love letter to me. Um, but otherwise... I just want to know Starfire still talks like she does on the Green, I mean, on the uh, Teen Titans cartoon. Like, we, we need to... That would be amazing. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Teen Titans Go. I'm fine with that. Uh... But, uh, but no, overall, I mean, I think, I think it's been fascinating to watch as like the, um, you know, people really dig into the, the depth of their own backgrounds as well as, you know, their own, you know, comic book closets. Um, and we're getting some obscure stuff like White Banshee. I'd never heard of a White Banshee, but that's fascinating. You know, Silver the, Banshee. The, the, oh, sorry, Silver, Silver Banshee. Banshee. Yeah, yeah Banshee. she's amazing. She's been, she's been a longtime Supergirl nemesis. And a nemesis to, to all of the super family forever. But just, uh, you know, to the point that, um, you know, I think it's been, uh, you know, great to see all of that, uh, all of that energy, you know, all that research, all that depth, you know, going into these, while still being able to pull up some, like, really, um, you know, kind of marquee name brand characters. You know, I think, Mike, you said this on the Discord, you know, there's still a lot of depth there. Uh, there's still a lot of talent, you know, left out there. Um, so yeah, no, I think it's pretty exciting. Great round. Yeah. What about you, Annie? What are your overall impressions of the round? 
I really liked this round. I totally agree with S. We're getting deeper and deeper into writing more complex backstories. Um, I, I just, overall, I, I could not find really a weak pick in this round. Uh, shout out to the Native team for picking Silver Banshee because she is out of left field and she's a great character that's been really underused. Um, Tomati always brings it. Um, I really want to mm -hmm. give a shout out. My favorite really this round was Adam's work for the Jewish delegation um, and Tomati's pick and the Native delegation. And you know, I mean, we have some of the native delegation here. So uh, May, give us tell it, or Monica, whichever you prefer. Um, May's fine. Okay, so May, you know, give us your impression of the round. Um, I totally agree. Like trying to research more into different characters, and then having to research more into different legends. Um, as Native Americans, it. It's kind of hard. It's been challenging because we don't all have the same legend. Right, right. Each, each tribe has their own stories and so forth. So doing the research for that has been, it, it's been challenging, but it's been kind of rewarding. Just because like we're learning so much more about other tribes and other cultures and stuff. So it, it's definitely been challenging and I'm kind of curious on who else or how far we're going to go with the, the pick. Okay. Sounds cool. And um, yeah, Martin, I guess we'll let you speak. <laughs> what, do you, uh, what were your impressions of the round overall? I mean, he can drink now, so maybe he can speak as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Did he just turn 21? <laughs> no. no. Uh, that happened a while ago. I'm 25. Oh, okay. I can write a card. By the way, we're just teasing you for being babyface. It's cool. <laughs> get it? Baby I get it. I get it. Um, thoughts was good. <laughs> uh, not my I'm not my place now, right now, and I'm just not gonna go elaborate. But it was a really good. I as a kind of like someone who's really into the story aspects of what we're doing here. I really enjoy stories that are created with all these picks. And that's just, that's that aside from just, who gets picked, my favorite entire thing. Wait, uh, could you repeat that last part? Yeah, I uh, couldn't hear any of it. Okay. Uh, my favorite part is the stories that get uh, So, more so than who gets picked, I like the, what the story is, how they go about changing these characters. Gotcha. So, I mean, I, I, with that, we should probably just jump into the pick. So the first pick go. was uh, the Latinx uh, delegation, Aquaman, um, who would like to do the honors and read the backstory. Well, Martin, uh, you know, I'd love for you to read the backstory, but your connection is shit. <laughs> <laughs> it had to be said. It had to be said. It had to be said. Someone had to say it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, going on here. <laughs> what a really tar hard time hearing you. Um, yeah, no, I was totally, I was totally expecting the market would read it, but like, uh, let me just um, pull it up myself. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's fine. Ladies and gentlemen, live radio. Here we are. 
In Aztec mythology, there is the story of the five sons. In this story, different deities took turns creating the world, with each deity's turn counting for one go-around, or sun. We are currently in the fifth sun. The goddess in charge of making the fourth was Kachuliku. Uh, boy, wow, that is hard to say. Why am I having to do this? Um, the goddess of waters, rivers, lakes, streams, and the sea. Her version of the world ended with a great flood and all the people were turned to fish. All but a select few she chose to spare. Hidden in her domain of the ocean, the humans quickly adapted to life under the sea after being blessed by the goddess and survived into the fifth sun. Thus, the lost civilization of Atlantis was created, just off what is now called the Gulf of Mexico. Cut to modern day, and the queen of Atlantis, Atlanta, washed ashore on a Mexican island north of the Yucatan Peninsula. That's where she would meet a lighthouse keeper named Tomar Curiel. The two would fall in love and eventually have little Arturo. He would one day be known as Aquaman, the king of Atlantis. Well, one of them. There's another similar kingdom in the Pacific Ocean, but nah, they don't like to talk about them or their temperamental leader with the wings on his feet. There you have it. There is. So I just want to say something here. Um, you know, as much as we talk about the, uh, the, the stories that people are putting in and the research that we're putting in at the end of the day, you know, we are doing a fantasy draft. Uh, <laughs> there's scoring involved. And, um, and just for a little, a little context, you know, for those who don't know, um, I think most of you know that Mike and I went to high school together, um, but Mike has been organizing a fantasy football league, like, since high school, and, uh, and I've participated, you know, um, you know, in that league since then. Um, you know, with this COVID year, um, boy, the, the, the ability to have, like, that fix of, you know, of competing and talking shit with people that you really like and you want to have a reason to you know, connect with remotely, um, you know, is, is really one of the big reasons why I'm in this draft, and I love it. And as part of that, I, I have to actually, you know, want to win on points um, and shut Kia up, especially. So, uh, so if you look at the roster, look down the line, like every one of these big budget movies, so many of these big stars, so many of these books that are getting, you know, mixed and remixed, um, we have absolutely been trying to figure out, like, who... Who has these appearances, who, these appearances, who has that popularity, and of those people, you know, who would have a natural fit with the Latinx team? And, uh, and boy, the fact that Aquaman, you know, took this long, you know, to get into a round was just, uh, was just an amazing stroke of luck for us. Yeah, he, he, he definitely... That was shocking. That was shocking. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. I mean, I think people bought... People, even, despite the fact that Jason Momoa has been playing him in all these movies... And he made a billion dollars playing Aquaman. He's still, in a lot of people's eyes, uh, a little bit of an underrated character. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think that's going to be a major sleeper for you on the points on the point side because Aquaman does still have his own book. And he, listen, I don't don't sleep on don't sleep on Arthur. Do not, do not. I feel he's 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 been a joke, you know, in the fandom for people who don't actually read his books. For people who read his books, he's not a joke. Yeah. I mean, if I remember correctly, he has, he has both a regular book and one of those uh, digital-only books. So that's, that's twice as much exposure as some of the other characters. So great, great pick as far as 10th round value. Well, higher than 10th round value in the 10th round. 
and let's see what the feedback was about the pick. Um, our buddy, our buddy Eli, uh, who hopefully is going to get us some more commissions, said he did not see that coming. Um, oh yeah, you guys uh, had a fan, a, a fan cast of uh, Aaron Diaz, and um, um, Sean, the white delegation captain, says that he reminds. He, uh, Aaron Diaz reminds him of Chase Crawford, who plays the deep on the boys. I don't know if you guys have, have any of you guys seen the boys. Yes. Uh, high no, I haven't seen the boys yet. I recommend on the boys. Yes, you you you'd like it. It's a yeah. You know, yeah, it's a twisted spin on on the Justice League, uh, based on the Garth Ennis Garth, Garth Ennis book. Oh. But it actually, but the show. But let's clarify that the show is so much better than the comic because the show fixed the problematic elements that were in the comic because oh, wow. you know, Garth, Garth Ennis despises superheroes. So the book reflected that. Yeah, I've, I've heard how problematic the boys uh, comic is to the point that people were, were worried that it wasn't, you know, that it was unfilmable. <laughs> but, um, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I was I was really impressed by it. And one day I'll go back and read the book. Excuse me, but everyone has said I should I don't need to. It's so much better. Do you don't need to read the book? You really, really don't. <laughs> That's cool though. I'll check out the show. Yeah, it's on Amazon. No ads. Mm -hmm. No ads. And there's there's a there's a there's a cap there's a character that's kind of a Captain XP for Aquaman called the Deep, which I think Michael was trying to get to before I interrupted him so much. <laughs> Sorry. No problem, no problem. But yeah, because because hardly anyone's seen the boys, they don't notice the resemblance between the actor um, that you guys fan cast and the actor that plays the deep. So I, I can definitely see it. So Mike, just a quick kind of follow-up on the Aquaman pick. Since this character's sort of been racially bent already in the movies, and I don't remember sort of a backlash against that. Is that just because this isn't a super popular character or just not that same sort of proprietary interest like other characters? There, there wasn't any issue with Jason Momoa being cast as Aquaman, right? So I think, I think, I think there are two factors at play. I think the first is that it's Jason Momoa and everybody loves Jason Momoa. Um, I, and he's so cool of a dude that even the people who are big Aquaman fans can't, you know, they have to acknowledge that it's an, a step up in terms of the perception of the character. You know, um, I, in, in a lot of ways, he's, he's, he's a Thor type character, but you're not going to cast, you know, Christopher Hemsworth um, to play him. And, you know, I think that, I think it was just a matter of the perfect race bent casting for a character that doesn't have so many people that are, that have a perfect fan cast. Exactly. Exactly. I, I, I was so thrilled when I found out that he was going to, that he was cast in the role. Um, and I remember when that first trailer came out for the Justice League film, um, Aquaman fans rejoicing on the timeline on Twitter and noting that you cannot say Aquaman is irrelevant after that first trailer. And, you know, I mean, as it stands, in my own personal opinion, like, I, I think that he does, he definitely brings a different kind of energy to the role than what I traditionally associate with the Aquaman of the comics. And I think there were probably some other characters like Robo that Jason Momoa could have played really well with the same energy um, to the point that I don't know if they could even have a Lobo with Jason. <laughs> <laughs> With Aquaman being... Excuse me, Danny Trejo <laughs> is still alive. 
Excuse me. I think another thing is though that, you know, uh, uh, I think I think controversy comes up. You know, with characters, you know, being played by actors from a different racial group when people feel like from a racial perspective, that's mine or they're mine. You know, I don't know that there were a lot of people going, you know, God damn it, you know, I want like the, the orange and green Aquaman to be like, a, you know, a standards bearer for white people. You know, like, I don't know that there's like that same kind of energy behind it. Yeah. And, um, and they didn't have like Idris Elba play him. They had Jason Momoa play him. You know what I mean? Like, which is... Um, Ambiguous. Yeah, yeah like yeah. I think Jason I mean, Momoa is currently operating in that like the rock space, yeah, you know, yeah. like the the Val, you know what I mean, like the the, the space where you're sort of vaguely, you know, ethnic, multiracial, and people have a hard time, you know, really pinning that down. Um, and 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 I and I think you know, frankly, you know, folks who have a problem with uh, you know people of color, you know, in you know, in non uh, explicitly people of color roles seem to have less of an issue, you know, gripping onto folks like The Rock and Jason Momoa and so on, um, you know, as they do, you know, folks like, uh, again, like an Idris Elba. I think it also definitely helped that Jason Momoa being cast in the role meant that he would have shirt off for like the entire movie. (laughs) Oh, that was, (laughs) that was a definite plus. Can I also say though, he was very Polynesian coded in the movie. Yes, he was. I mean, I got Mm -hmm. that right away. I got it when they cast him right away, whether it was explicit text or subtext in, in terms of visuality that he, that he was Polynesian. Yes, and, they and it totally makes sense. Where's Tomatee? Yeah. Because yeah. it makes I mean, sense. They are they they are the greatest navigators. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know that's why it was kind of funny that the Polynesian team, you know, reached for Namor instead of uh, you know go, go grab Aquaman. To, to know I know that, and that that really surprised me. Absolutely, you know, it's funny your 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 Jason Momoa shirt off comment just makes me think it's the same reason that. Nobody complained about Jessica Alba being Sue Storm either. Yes. Oh, we complained. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sometimes being hot does win out. You know, you can, you can it can make a lot of things go down a lot smoother. Feels like a good segue for me to reiterate my standing invite for Jessica Alba to join us on the show to discuss her Sue Storm character. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank, you, thank you for dunking that layup, Marky. <laughs> you pitch, I catch, man. <laughs> woman and uh speaking of speaking of hot people <laughs> that, yeah <laughs> i'm gonna get kia's take on um jason momoa kia and whether marky prefers to pitch or catch oh <laughs> we are we have a drop in an addition in <laughs> Kia, are you back? This show is pure madness today. I think I'm back. back. Hi, Kia. Hey, Kia. Welcome back. We are, we have passed the first pick. We're still talking about Aquaman, but we were just talking about Jason Momoa with a show. Oh, we were talking about fish again. Yeah, but we were talking about Jason fish. Momoa specifically fish. with his shirt off. Do you have any thoughts? Oh, may the Lord smite me with that and I never recover. mm <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, my mom is here with me. 
right now. <laughs> I mean, ladies and gentlemen, cue uh, love. What do you think about? Oh my God! Oh, uh, Mr. the guy that played Aquaman. Lacey Street. Mom, mom, it's just me. You can take off your mask. I know. That's what you're doing. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's laughing. Yeah, nobody, nobody can't see you, mom. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Daytona? Yeah. My mother says he's a hot motherfucker. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there it is. Mike, is this the first there R-rated episode? This episode's already a R, right? This already, yeah, this episode's beyond R-rated. <laughs> Aiming for NC-17. NC-17? <laughs> My mom, my mom just said we need to kill Lisa Bonet. Wow, we are <laughs> not confessing the crimes on the podcast. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah we're not cursing the podcast. There is enough. There are enough people here for a criminal conspiracy. So <laughs> this is not happening. <laughs> well, I, I think we really. Because uh, I didn't put the seal on. Uh, yeah, are you gonna say we we really squeezed? This topic dry? Is that what it's nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just, just yeah. let's move on. Let's move on to the second pick in round 10, which was Hella for the black delegation. Okay. Um, I have so many thoughts. All right, go for it. So okay. I I uh my team has a problem with this pick uh in two different ways. So first of all, uh, we've got Spanish Thor, you know, and then secondly, Hela is now uh, what the 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 king's consort, you know, with Thanos or something like that. So I gotta say, look, it's all love on the Racial Draft podcast, you know, absolutely. And if Hela wants to continue to perpetuate, you know, her image as like second-rate, off-brand Lady Death, <laughs> and pick up. Group on, Lady Death. <laughs> and pick up Thanos and run with him now, then that's just fine. We're going to be over here living our best life. <laughs> there it is. Anyone else want to uh, throw shade at uh, Hella? That's right. All right. So I'm going wow. to read the backstory for Hella. Uh, Wait, before you do that, can okay. we just say, hi, Martin, look at you and your chubby cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He has really chubby cheeks. He's so freaking adorable. And it's his birthday. Oh, happy oh, birthday. birthday. Happy, happy, happy birthday. birthday. Thank you. When did you blow out 15 25. No. We were also being joined by the uh, addition of by one of the co-captains of the Jewish delegation. Hello. Crash the party. Adam. Hi, to the people. I didn't see you there. Now I do. Oh my God. It's nice to see you. Good to see you. Hey, Adam. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, 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 hey. hey, hey. Just working our way through the picks. We um, just finished talking about Aquaman uh, and a lot of uh, Jason Momoa's hot talk. Um, just in case you would like to add, add in to uh, the Jason Momoa's hot talk. He's hot. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, now we're moving on to the Black delegation. And Hella, we're about to jump into her backstory as per our buddies uh, Task and Toast from the Black delegation. Shout out to the Super Suit Show. 
All right. Let's get it going. And and like uh, S alluded to, there is a little bit of a power couple thing going on between Thanos, who they drafted in earlier round, and Hela. So Hela is the queen of hell, a.k.a. the queen of Oakland. She is known for her intensity and big words. That's why people in NorCal use Hela before stating something to explain the mass or numbers. That's Hela dope. There were Hela people there. Considering that most people got their slang from the Bay, this was par for the course. Hela never knew about her past, just that she had power over the dead homies. The dead homies are a gang of zombie gang members who lost their lives in the mean streets of Oak East Oakland, now resurrected and serving their queen Hela. There are hella members of the dead homies, so, hope, so Oakland has now been considered hell. And just like the queen she is, she needs a king. Thanos and Hella have formed a bond to become the Jay-Z and Beyonce of the Black delegation. Wow. I, I, I mean, I live in Northern California, so <laughs> I'm from Northern California, so I concur that uh, Hella is a linguistic gift to the world. And I really, I really dug this, this new backstory a lot. Yeah, it was a great pick. Um, you know, there obviously there were some 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 death uh, conflict, so to speak. But you know, we Ella. I mean, Ella typically does a lot of damage in the books when she does show up. So I think, and I think most recently she was in a relationship with Thanos in the books. So it stays within canon. Um, obviously, she was well portrayed by. Um, why am I why am I drawing a blank on Kate Blanchett? Kate Blanchett, thank you. By Kate Blanchett and Thor Ragnarok, and only presumed dead, she may yet may yet reappear. But um, go on, go yeah. You know, thoughts, yeah. Thoughts? In all seriousness, I got to say that um, <clears throat> you know, uh, 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 I was just today convincing someone to listen to the Racial Draft podcast by telling them, oh, there are all these folks you know who are doing all this research and doing all these stories of legends and myths I've never heard of. But then I convinced them by explaining the Black Delegation's picks. <laughs> the Black Delegation's picks are just so fun, are so right on, you know, and like are so, um, are so now, you know, that like, I think if, if, if anybody's making picks that like the world would just, you know, love to read about in really kind of broad senses, it's the Black Delegation. And this, this is another one that's just great. Any, anyone else, Marquis? What did you think about the pick? Oh, I love the pick. I think it's hella fun. <laughs> Had to. And also, I think it continues a trend, Mike, that I've noticed. The black team is really powering up in these picks recently. They're getting, they're picking super strong characters now to sort of balance out some of the earlier picks. So I think that's definitely something to be watched. Yeah. What about you, May? What did you think about the pick? Um, I actually think I like the story because it's more like up, to, uh, how do you say, more modern. Mm -hmm. And um, it took me a minute to, fig to think who that was they were talking about. I I've been up since 2 a.m., so work with me, guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, I actually did like uh, just hearing from the, uh, the podcast, the story, that I actually kind of like it. And Kia's back. Let's hear what Kia has to say. Actually, while we wait, Martin, what do you think? What do you think about the pick? Uh oh, the battle. Of we really can't hear her. Oh no! Battle of the bad connections. Uh, battle of the bad connections. 
That's impressive. I actually didn't think Martin's connection could get worse, and somehow it did. <laughs> can you not hear me at all? Yes, we can hear you now. Okay. Well, no, I wasn't saying anything because uh, Kia started talking. Oh, okay. I, I was. I just came back. I wasn't talking. Okay, so well, you're, you're back. No, you're, we can hear you better. Oh, you just came back. Well, so, what did you think about the uh, Hella pick, uh, Kia? Um, well, considering I missed the whole thing, um, and I don't know anything about that said character, I'm going to be like, eh, it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I will, I will take that as a hint that we need to move on. <laughs> uh, can we, wait, real quick, before you move on, just in case, like, my service goes out on me again, and then I can never connect, because right now I'm fighting with Verizon, or service of Verizon, they suck, never have Verizon, but, um, you can put that in your uh, podcast, but uh, are we doing polls? Um, we still have to go through. We still have to go through the whole. Uh, what do you call it? You know, we still have to go through the whole round. The draft, yeah, round by round. Yeah. Um, so if if you do get disconnected for good, uh, hit me with a text, and I will uh, put in your your nomination. Well, you already know what it's going to be. That is true. Okay, so just in case. Okay, continue. Carry on. We're right. going to be here until I, you know, until my thing dies. Okay. And my phone goes away. Okay. All right. Continue. Okay. All right. So we're going to talk about the third pick, the white delegation, the villains, the colonizers, if you will. Uh, they have gone, they've gone defensive this time out. They have uh, drafted a previously white character. And that was Jonathan Kent, the son of Superman, AKA Superboy. Um, obviously, Superman was drafted to the Latinx de delegation, so I'll, I'll I'll let you Essa respond to the to the draft pick. Yeah, you want to just read the uh, the the backstory first, or everybody has the uh, oh yeah there? yeah let's do that. Let's read the backstory. Mm -hmm. uh, Johnny Kent takes after his mother visually, with pale skin and dark black hair. He has shown an aptitude for self-directed studies and is desperate to understand the language and cultures of his father since he is raised within the culture of his mother. He's beginning to show a better understanding of his father's language than Carl himself, although you can hear his accent and the way he pronounces things. Johnny constantly forgets. Johnny constantly forgets. Wait, I believe we're being joined by the captain of the white delegation as we speak. Sean. Sean. Uh, hey. Hey, hey Sean. We are, Sean. We are reading your draft pick, so why don't you go ahead and read it for us? Oh, okay. Let me pull it up. All right. Who's all on? We have a number of guests that I that are too numerous to run through. All of the planet Earth. Okay. Is S on? S is on. Yes. Okay. Um, hold on. I gotta find it. Now I'm curious why you're so excited. Like, hey, reminder you that this is the A Force episode. A Force episode. <laughs> <laughs> it has become a lot more than the A-Force episode. It's turning into that scene with the portals in Avengers Endgame right now. Yes, it sure is. <laughs> what, you want more? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sean. Okay, I'm ready. I'll go braid my beard. Okay. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Can I go? Yes, go. <laughs> I thought cool. it was funny, yes. I thought it was funny. Thank you. I'm just trying to fill time here, you know. <laughs> I, 
So my draft was based off a comment as made when she drafted the Superman to the Latinx delegation. She had made like a one-off comment that um, he had an unfamiliarity with his language. And I was like, oh, I can build a character off that. So I drafted Superboy. Johnny takes after his mother, visually with pale skin and dark black hair. He's shown an aptitude for self-destructive studies and is desperate to understand the language and culture of his father since he is raised within the culture of his mother. He's beginning to show a better understanding of his father's language than Carl himself, although you can still hear his accent in the way he pronounces things. Johnny constantly forgets that his father had been ripped violently away from his culture and didn't have access to information that Johnny had as a member of the Legion of Superheroes who exists in the 31st century. Johnny represents the overeager white ally who will immerse himself in another culture and make himself an expert in it. His eagerness to do good can sometimes do harm before he considers whether his actions are needed or not. Even with power and knowledge, wisdom and thoughtfulness is needed to make Johnny the Superboy he aspires to be. <coughs> there it is. There was a scene in the first season of Atlanta where Donald Glover goes to this party that was hosted by a white dude and the white dude is like an expert in African culture and he's like talking to Donald Glover's character and he's like hey so where are you from and he's like I don't know you know this horrible thing happened <laughs> and that scene has like stuck with me my entire life it was almost like I had seen what I could have become if I had continued to pretend to be an expert in things I didn't know and so I stopped doing it. So thank you, Donald Glover, for that. And that's what, John, what Superboy's based off. Thank you, Juicy. Yeah, that's, that's really good and dandy, but you're going to have to say all that over again and in a girl voice because it's girls' night. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies now outnumbered five to three, I think. This, this is how it always is. It's how it always is. Female space is getting crashed by male space. <laughs> So I got to say the um, uh, you know the backstory that you've created is uh, is is a really really common one for um, you know first and second generation uh, well Spanish speak you know folks coming from Spanish speaking families I think immigrants generally where you get far enough away from the folks who you know immigrated in the first place that um, you and, and those folks have been working to integrate themselves into American life and so on and so forth that. That things you know usually happen in one of two ways: either, either children kind of reject, you know, their home language, you know, and put up some resistance because they want to, um, you know, feel and act more American, you know, rather than you know part of, um, you know, part of a group that they don't have a community around or what have you, you know, that's isolated, or they go the other way and they start looking for what has been lost, you know, basically. You know, they start looking for that heritage and that background that, um, you know, helps sort of ground them. So I actually know quite a few people who, you know, um, you know, their, their parents were born here, their grandparents immigrated here, um, and they're now, you know, studying Spanish much more than their parents did, or, you know, writing theses or whatever, you know, doing all this research, doing all this activism. Um, and I can sympathize because really it's a, on the one hand, it's well-intended and it's like a desire to, to learn and, and, and feel connection with your ancestors. But at the same time, I'm sorry, somebody should go on mute because I can hear sort of back talk. Thank you. 
Um, but at the same time, like, it's so easy to be that overeager ally, you know, and through that process, you're kind of washing away the fact that the, you know, second and third generation immigrant experience is necessarily different, you know, than the experience of somebody born in their original country. And that's okay. You know, I struggle with this with my own children. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm married to a woman of English and Scottish descent, but, you know, on one line, you know, she's got ancestors that go back to the Mayflower. Um, and so, you know, who am I to say that, you know, their lineage from England and from Scotland is any less valid, you know, or their lineage that, you know, was American is any less valid than, you know, the lineage that, you know, spoke Spanish. Um, but for them, that's a struggle they're going to have to figure out, right? And I think it's, so it's like a really, really common story that frankly, I don't think is, is told enough or described enough. You know, I think there are tons of New Yorkans in New York right now, for example, who are, you know, trying to figure out what it even means, you know, to be Puerto Rican or to be New Yorkan, you know, and how that's different from being Puerto Rican. So yeah, no, I applaud you, Sean, for this one. Thank you. Yeah, and that was fascinating. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I said it best. I don't think it, I don't think I have anything to uh, extra to contribute. I just want to add that on something that S noted that I see a similar resurgence of um, kind of an enjoyment and a renaissance of young Jews getting really engaged with Jewish culture from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So I see kind of a similar thing. And there was a similar struggle to assimilate, pressure to assimilate, um, mm -hmm. obviously, in Jewish communities when we managed to get here. Yeah. And similarly, you know, you know, Jews tend to be white-skinned. You know, Superboy is explicitly white-skinned. And it's like, how do you operate, you know, when you look like you could very easily assimilate, you know? Then That's how not true. No. Well, no, I don't know if I would say most Jews have white skin because that Sephardic, is not true. Yeah. Sephardic Jews and Jews of color make up a, a large population, but but Ashkenazi Jews are definitely the predominant uh, Jews. But that goes along with our choice. Why I wanted to go for a Sephardic background for our Jewish character when you're talking about assimilation mm -hmm. and bringing in the other cultures that Jews have assimilated into mm -hmm. um, to show sort of the breadth and scope of the people. Well, that's mm -hmm. a great, that's as great as a transition as we can have into your pick, which is right next. So, yeah, can I just, I want to say, oh, the, sorry, the, the, the misconception needs to die that Jews are white-skinned. Um, we originated as, as black and brown people. Um, there are Sephardic Jews, there are mountain Jews, there are, there, there are Mizrahim Jews, there are Jews of color all over the world, there are Jews in China, India, all over, South Asia, everywhere. So let's dispense with that. Well, uh, jumping, jumping on what Annie, what Annie said, uh, brings up a very interesting question is when people say that Jews are white, especially Ashkenazi Jews from Eastern Europe, the question that has to be asked is why are Jews white now? How did that happen? And that's a history of rape and forced marriages and forced conversions in the white parts of the world that eventually created a white Jewish people. And yeah, and, but, and I also want to say that, um, and this, this will get complicated, you can be an Ashkenazi Jew and be black. 
there yeah. are Ashkenazim Jews that are black. Yeah. So it gets it gets complicated. Let's just dispense with yeah. the, um, the perception that, that Jews are white. And there's a whole we, history of why Jews became racialized as white in the United States, but those are predominantly Ashkenazim Jews and they do not represent the larger world Jewish community. It's important to remember, you know, just as we all learn about each other's cultures, Jews have a history of 2000 years of diaspora and separation, and especially when the Jews were expelled from Portugal and Spain, that sent Jews throughout the whole world, and Jewish cultures developed everywhere, uh, you know, especially because of that expulsion from Spain and Portugal, which is how our character, the, the mother character, ended up being uh, a Sephardic Jew with the last name Perez, which is one of the most common surnames of Sephardic Jews being Perez, Rios, and, and a few others. So I wanted to make sure we included that. Absolutely. So thanks for that background. I mean, you know, for obvious reasons, most, if not maybe all Jews that I know personally, you know, are, you know, light-skinned. Um, yeah. But, well, but in New York, for that context. In New York, in some places, especially because, you know, the waves of immigration, you have to remember, there was two major waves of Eastern European immigration. One in the late 1800s, very late, early 1900s, and one around the 1930s, 1940s. And that wave of immigration was predominantly to escape the rise of the right wing and, and the Nazis and other cultures there. So that wave of immigrants were all, you know, the Jews of what they call the Pale of Settlement, the, the yeah. Russia, Poland, Austria, Hungary, all of those. So that was a white, an influx of so-called white Ashkenazi Jews. And that's why in places like, you know, Florida, New York and California, you see a predominantly white Jewish population. And just, to, and just to tack on, also going back to what you touched on earlier, Adam, I have Jewish relatives that emigrated um, probably right around the late 1800s, right around the turn of the 20th century. Uh, they went to Paraguay and Uruguay. Mm -hmm. So I have Jewish family in Latin America, all over I, the place. I have a whole section of my family in Costa Rica, and people say you have a Costa Rican Jewish family. And yeah, because most people forget that when the boats first started arriving here and the United States did not want to get involved in World War II, that the boats were turned away. And all those immigrants coming here to escape the Nazis were turned away. So those boats ended up going to places like Costa Rica and anywhere that would accept Jews at that time. So my family, portion of my family settled in Costa Rica and became part of the Costa Rican culture. Wow, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Wow. So uh, Spain's fault. <laughs> yeah, well, you gotta remember the, the 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 first Jews that arrived in the Caribbean, and Puerto Rico has the largest Jewish population in the Caribbean. The That's first right. Jews, the first Jews that arrived in the Caribbean arrived with the Nina the Pinta and the Santa Maria. They booked passage upon those boats because when Columbus came here is exactly when the Jews were expelled from Spain and Portugal, same year. Like I said, 1492, one of the shittiest years in world history ever. The yeah. start of colonization. I mean, I'll shut up because May can talk about that. The, just any the expulsions <laughs> of Jews. I mean, Jesus, it was, it was a rough year for everyone in terms of world history. It was bad. Yes. <laughs> Except for most of my family, but never mind. Excuse me? <laughs> S and I, S and I trash talk about Spain back and forth a lot.
Hashtag not all Spaniards. <laughs> Mike, I know you want to let them get into the pick, but I just want to, and it can segue into discussing the pick, but this is actually a really complicated issue for me because I, I as I've mentioned before on the podcast, I struggle a lot with sort of the importance of recapturing lost legacy, lost mm. history. It, it's, mm. it's a theme sort of, of of modern day existence. All of us trying to sort of, reclaim past that has been taken from us or stolen from us to try to recontextualize it into something more positive. But at the same time, these sort of the idea of, of, of blood ties and racial ties and sort of generational ties is also a thing that is very divisive for, for society at the same time. And, and sort of reconciling the two has really been a struggle for me recently as I look at sort of what our society has descended into. So mm. I'm eager to hear, obviously I want you to get into the next pick, but just sort of thoughts about what is the balance between sort of reclaiming your heritage, but also not excluding sort of this expanding universe of all these cultures working together. I guess I don't understand the issue. Say more. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I um, just thinking about what you said. I don't. I don't understand. I, I don't understand your perspective on this. So I want actually want you to say more. <laughs> I guess. I guess. I guess I feel that race and blood is one of the things that is like extremely divisive for people as a general concept. Like the idea that we have these racial ties and this racial legacy, it's actually the very thing that is contributing to sort of this hugely divisive society that we live in. So on the one hand, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, it's important to reclaim all these things to sort of have this sense of past and historical context, but how do we do that in a way that doesn't continue to be so divisive from a societal perspective? Yeah, I think so I need to unpack what you mean by divisive, though. Like that, that, that probably would help. Can, can I, um, you know, can, can I inject something? I mean, I, I think maybe I, I, you know, I might understand, Marky. Um, so, so to me, and I've been, you know, pretty vocal on this in our, you know, in our conversations on Discord and whatnot. Um, you know, I, I think culture is important. I think blood's important from the point of view of family. Um, but I think race is a fiction. You know, I think, I think the, the concept itself of race is the problem. You know, it was um, completely constructed, just like nations, you know, in ways have been, you know, constructed to, to try to establish and codify certain power structures. Um, yes. You know, the, the, even the construction of race, the construction of borders is often just meant to try to solidify some sort of, you know, hegemonic power structure. So I think, um, you know, when I try to deal with this, uh, you know, and again, you know, brown mother, white father, both Spanish, um, you know, when I try to deal with this, I think, you know, to me, blood is important, but when I look around, you know, the, the, the Latinx population and the diaspora and so on, same thing, you know, I have, um, you could literally look at the entire color spectrum. I have siblings in my family who go from blonde and green-eyed to black-skinned, curly-haired, uh, and, and they are brothers. And I, think, and I think it just gives the lie to the whole concept of race. I think we have to dismantle the concept of race to begin with, you know, before we can actually enter into some of these discussions fairly. I think there's real truth to bloodline, obviously, you know, because your family, your experiences, that past, you know, shapes so much of who you are today. And it shapes so much of how people think about, um, you know, who do I protect and who do I prioritize, you know, when chips are down? Who do I trust inherently? Um, but I have real trouble with the, 
concept of race because, you know, at the slightest bit of inspection, you know, I think race falls apart. I think culture is fundamental, it does. I think work is fundamental, but race it does. falls apart. I was just going to say race is a false arbitrary nominative construct. Race is a sociological construct. But I think, and, and we can have those discussions, we can interrogate the origins of race, just as you said, you know, race, maybe a better term would be racialization. And at the same time, we can acknowledge that doing this project is a really nourishing thing for people who feel and have been tragically underrepresented. Mm -hmm. And it's a way for creative storytelling. So I kind of also had, and we're, we're, we're getting, we're probably Michael's going to kill us, but I mean, when I first saw that it was the Racial Draft podcast, I understood the context because Michael explained this glorious project to me, but at the same time, the word racial is itself can be confusing. Um, so maybe we should go with like racialized. People have been racialized rather than calling it race. People have been racialized against their will in some cases for, for the purposes of oppression. But I also think that there's something to the idea, like you said, culture is important, that the idea of people finding racial identity and building solidarity around that identity. You know, I think that there's, I think there's a reclaiming that can happen when people sort of take control of the narrative of what it means to belong to, uh, they, they may have been racialized at one point in time, but to the extent that their identity uh, comes from from the commonalities of the culture. I think that there's something to that that shouldn't be completely um, ignored. It is a, it is a social um, fiction, you know, it is. Yeah, but you can have culture without having race. I think culture is also a social construct, you know, and but also just it, is, it can be very nourishing and, and provide community. Like, I don't see how, you know, historically race, um, you know, has been much of a benefit as a concept if you divorce it from, culture and from family. Can we also make it clear that just because the concept of race is, is inherently false does not mean that racism is not real and that society sure. has been divided along these lines. And so people have been racialized against their will. If, if, and if so, race does exist in that very narrow, limited way because, because it is an oppressive structure a false oppressive structure, but it exists and it causes harm. Adam, you had something to, to, to add? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with the, the essence of, of what we're saying. And, and obviously race, especially from a Eurocentric uh, standpoint, was that it's kind of like there's white and then there's you're something other than white, unless you're from that part of the world where you grew up and then it's my race is the original peoples. But I will say, there's something to be said for generational trauma. In oh, that, yeah. In that every, you know, I truly believe we carry on through our genetics, behavior, and traumas, and things that we've been through in the past. And that through many centuries, um, there are certain generational traumas built into certain races or whatever you went through in their world that does kind of create a race that's different from others in that you are a different and unique people in that you have a, a common legacy, a common shared heritage, but then you take out the element of race, which is of the skin color and being different. So I think that race is a construct, but I also think you, you face the reality of 
the modern day that we live in right now. And you have to recognize that the races are slightly different in that we have a different background, a different generational traumas, uh, a different history that does make us unique, I guess, mentally maybe. I'm not, I'm not sure how to describe what I'm saying. Yeah. I think I you're getting at epigenetic trauma, epigenetic trauma. And there are like pretty much every marginalized group we can think of carries severe epigenetic trauma. And if we're talking about epigenetic trauma, I'm going to turn it over to May. Let the girls talk. <laughs> turn it over to May. <laughs> um, well, I'm just listening and grasping what you guys are talking about and explaining. And coming from a Native American tribe, especially the largest Native American tribe, the Navajo tribe, you bring up uh, trauma and generation of trauma and stuff like that. And now with this whole COVID-19 thing, it's our history, our language, everything is, has become so precious just because as you guys probably know, my reservation is getting hit the hardest um, to where our elders are going like crazy and it's so sad and heartbreaking that it had to take this virus for us to be like oh we got to protect our elders because those are our teachers what how we identify ourselves culturally is like within my tribe we have a clan system and it doesn't matter if you're from different families. If you have that same clan, you're related. And that's who defines you, that who that is who you are. Um, which is why I, I kind of like this story is that he's like trying to reintroduce himself into his culture, into his history and so forth, which is something that I myself can relate to because that's what I'm doing for my community. Um, I actually started a care package, elderly care package uh, group where we're trying to keep our elders home to protect them. And as I go and deliver these packages to their homes, I'm being more introduced to people that I never knew was my family. And that to me is giving me more empowerment as a Navajo woman and within my culture, um, which is why I really love this the, the story, especially after hearing it being read out loud. Um, it's completely relatable within not only my tribe, but I think every tribe in the United States um, with everything that has happened in the past, um, you know, with the cultural, uh, what do you call it? Um, devastation and stuff like that where we were taken into boarding schools and we endured brutality and torment and stuff. Um, this story really, really grasped me and I, I like it. I, I do like you guys' opinions uh, and what you guys are saying and then I like how we can kind of in a way relate to each other about it and um, but I think this just hits more more close at home with Native Americans right. than most different uh, tribes or races. Gotcha. gotcha. Tommy T, I think you have a unique perspective being the only uh, non-American 
uh, in on the call in the group. Welcome uh, to the show. <laughs> yeah. Hey guys. Um, it's it's a weird thing when you come into a conversation that's already well into it. Yeah. I'm just really uh, glad we get to hear your accent again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. We were just about just to stay on track. Um, we were just about to let Adam read the Jewish background. Oh yeah. The backstory for oh, well, our new you know, beautiful Starfire. It's really Has it been done. It's long, and uh, I actually have my Zoom, my Zoom screen on, and I can't, I can't um, read it. But I can read it. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to need some help with some I, of the Spanish pronunciations. I know Martin is side eyeing me proactively, I, preventively. I am also not. I am also not great with the Spanish pronunciations. I will say that you know this was important to me. I, I tried to do as much research as possible and really drive into the culture, but I am also not good with Spanish pronunciations. <laughs> well, I looked up a lot of it. Um, okay. I just want to say, Adam, you did a bang up job this week. This was the oh. first. This was the first um, backstory that got to be written by Adam, and I just like when I saw it, I literally almost when you sent it to me, I literally almost started crying. It, it was good practice for my comic writing. Yeah, no, it was really, it was really good. Thank you. Sorry, getting emotional here. Verklempt, verklempt. It wasn't that good. <laughs> um, so shall I proceed? Sure. Or did I get off track? Just a little. Go ahead. What? Okay. Go ahead. So once again, the Jewish delegation selected Starfire. Um, per Adam, Esther Perez hoped for a better life in Puerto Rico. Having fled to Cuba as a Jewish Holocaust survivor, it was now unsafe for Jews in Cuba with the rise of Fidel Castro. She prayed that Hashem, the God of the Jewish people, would guide and protect her. In Puerto Rico, she met a wonderful Puerto Rican Taino man, Enrique Rivera. Enrique's family had been on the island for many centuries. They tried for many years to have a child, and Esther grew despondent. Finally, a beautiful daughter came into their lives. When she was born, she was so covered in vernix. Is that the right pronunciation? Vernix? Mm -hmm. Vernix? That's, that's the vernix. stuff that covers newborn babies. When they come. Yes, the white, the, white, the, white, um, the white waxy stuff that's so mm -hmm. beautiful. When she was born, she was so covered in vernix that it reminded them of mana. Esther exclaimed, mana? Caído? Saido del Cielo? Like mana from heaven. Yes, like mana from heaven. They named their daughter Mana, for she was a gift from the heavens. Mana had a thirst for adventure, and so the family set out to climb Pico el Yunque, the throne of Yucahu. When they reached the peak, the wind began to swirl, and a single out-of-place tamarisk tree began to glow with fire. Just then, the great Yucahu appeared to them. The time has come. I have waited many years. But we don't understand, shouted Mana's parents. Yokaho began his story. Long ago, from the planet Tamarix came a princess to Earth. She has escaped in hopes of finding help for her planet Tamarix, held in the grasp of her evil sister. In her days on Earth, she fought many great foes. The day came when Yokaho and Hashem and the forces of nature and man faced a great evil from the stars. The princess fought valiantly in this battle, but perished. As she lay dying, she gave the seed of a single tamarisk tree from her home planet of Tamarix. The princess said to Yonkaho and Hashem, 
Hashem, excuse me, protect the seed and its growth. And when combined with great power from the stars and a worthy heir, you will see again the spirit and power of the princes of Tamarix. For it was Yonkaho who took the gems of earth and placed them as stars in the sky. He placed the power of the princes in the stars and brought them back, as, back to earth as gems to be protected. Hashem pronounced, commanded that these gems be placed in the breastplate of Aaron with his descendants, the Kohenim, Kohenim, eternal protectors of the starfire gems. Hashem and Yokoho proclaimed, there will come a day when the offspring of a Kohenim and Taino, a child shall be born as white as Yuke and will come with their parents to this place of honor in the white lands of my home. Hashem's voice bellowed down from the heavens, daughter of Kohenim and Taino, for the house of Israel called its name Mana, and it was like coriander seed, white. You, Mana, are a gift from the heavens. Mana grasped the flaming tamarisk seed, and Hashem brought forth the starfire gems. The power of the stars, the power of stones, the power of the Jewish people. Your skin be as the gold of Aaron's priestly robe. Your hair the color of jacinth. Your body as strong as this diamond. This emerald, your gift for language. Topaz, the color of the sky, brings you flight and speed. Your strength in battle is fiery as ruby. The amethyst, the power of energy. And now, daughter of the stars, use this power to protect your people to protect Bordekin, to save Tamarix. Filled with new power, Mana leapt from the ground and into the sky, exclaiming, Yo soy Borika, yo soy Hudia, yo soy Tamarix. And thus began the adventures of Mana, Miriam, Rivera, Perez, Starfire. Sorry for that really long dramatic reading. No, that was great. I, you know, I, thank you, Annie. I, I tried to, weave the cultures, you know, and use the mythology of the two peoples and try to combine them. And all of that is historical. And, you know, the, the, I tried to use tamarisk and tamarisk tree because uh, two things. One is that it sounded a lot like the planet that Starfire was from, uh, from the comics. And because in reality, people had thought that the resin from those trees uh, and it was described that way in the Torah, was like manna uh, from heaven. And then, yes. it, and then in Exodus, where it says that the manna was as white as coriander seed, and then I looked at Starfire's name, Coriander, and yes. I tried to tie that also. It wasn't just researching the cult, well, I mean, our own culture, I didn't have to research, but to try to find a way to interweave them to where it makes sense. And, you know, the, the Tayano people that they, um, Taino, they, they have their own mythology and, and, you know, the highest peak, not the highest peak in Puerto Rico, but one of the peaks in Puerto Rico is known to be sort of the throne of the son of the, the creator in their creation myth. And because the history of the Jews ties so well to the history of the Caribbean, you know, like I said, a lot of Jews were, were there when they uh, escaped Eastern Europe. And that part about Cuba is true. One of the largest influx of Jews to Puerto Rico was when Fidel Castro came to power in, in Cuba. And uh, we have the, this, you know, most people think of the Caribbean and we know that a lot of the Caribbean is either Spanish or black. And a lot of the Caribbean is black because of the history of slavery and the history of the sugar plantations. 
and what was used in the Caribbean. But a lot of times we ignore the indigenous population uh, of the Caribbean. Uh, I used to live in St. John in the Virgin Islands, and we also had, you know, the, the Arawak history, the, the Caribbean history. So I wanted to try to take it and show that the Jewish people have combined to become part of cultures of all over the world, and that while Judaism is, I guess, a race and a culture and a religion and all of those things, when we, I guess you call it intermarry, I don't know if that intermarry is a great word, but that it's important to not get rid of any culture, like you were talking about before, Esther. It's about the, the, um, the combination of the cultures and how they interweave and how they, they go forward and how we're a melting pot of cultures, especially you were talking before about the New Yorkans. Look, we know New York City, that's, that's the biggest melting pot there is. And people interweave, cultures interweave. So when we talk about culture and race, and you were talking about race as a, as a construct, if you look at places like New York City, Queens, places like that, you meet people and you say, what's your background? And it's not one answer. It's not, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. It's, I'm this, I'm a little of this, I'm a little of that, I'm a little of this. And it's about how you create an identity as a person. Well, like, I hate it when we read stuff and they go, oh, that person's half black, half white, you know, or biracial or words like that. And you're not half of anything. There's no split down the middle. You're all of everything at the same time. And I guess that's kind of what I was trying to bring to this history. You, you, you acknowledge all of your racial makeup, all of your cultural makeup, all of your background, because nobody, you can't say, oh, my arm is Puerto Rican, my, my left arm is, you know, from somewhere else. It just doesn't work that way. You're, you're, you're all of everything. So that's what I tried to bring to you. Also reminder that um, just before, before I forget to mention it, that there were Jewish pirates in the Caribbean. Oh yeah. Starting in, starting in like the early 18th century, there were Jewish pirates like terrorizing the Eastern yeah. seaboard and yeah. hanging out in the Caribbean. It was awesome. The, <laughs> they, the, that needs to be a movie. That the, needs to be a movie. The Jewish pirates I agree. in the Caribbean. The, <laughs> you know, we say that Christopher Columbus, that the original Jews <clears throat> of the Caribbean, but the Jews of the Americas, the original Jewish people were, you know, the Dutch, the Dutch Jews that came over. And the Dutch had a lot of shipping operations in the Caribbean and things like that. So that's how a lot of Jews ended up in the, the Caribbean and shipping with the, with the Dutch people. You know, they forced us into being moneylenders and they forced us into having a career with money. It's the only situation they gave us. So the Jews ended up financing um, many different endeavors. Yep. Unfortunately, unfortunately, there were a couple, you know, it's get extrapolated into a very negative stereotype. There were a few Jewish businessmen, more likely because they were businessmen and not Jewish, uh, that were involved in the slave trade. And that's very unfortunate. Now, sometimes that gets extrapolated into Jews were involved in this. It was just a couple of Jewish businessmen. So Jews have been involved in the Caribbean and unfortunately in the history of slavery plantations, but also in many positive ways. So we've been around, we've been all over. Just we are to... <laughs> all over everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Thousands of years of diaspora. Yeah. Well, I'd love to say, Adam, uh, uh, I thought it was a great pick. Thank you. Um, you know, not only was it a great story, I think it was um, uh, probably the greatest possible story that could be written for this podcast. Um, and I don't just say that because you were basically remixed mm. my biography. 
It wasn't the, it wasn't the best story all, written for this podcast. All. <laughs> you all wrote great stories. It wasn't better than. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought it was a great pick too. Thank you. Um, also, we, I just want to point out that we have an indigenous Jew. Starfire is now an indigenous Jew. Yes. Nice. Yes. Um, just just to coming back to the story of uh, of Starfire, the the name it's her name Mana. Um, within within Polynesian cultures, mana is a, an important concept as well. Um, for us, it's um, I guess the best way to describe it is uh, kind of, some kind of intrinsic power um, that every 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 person has uh, that can be either enhanced or diminished over a lifetime. Um, and the, within within our societies, those who hold the most mana often are our leaders. And you can either um, enhance your mana by your by the the things you have done in your lifetime and or genealogy and so so there's a there's a an interesting mm. um, I guess overlap when I when I thought when I listened to you talking about uh, mana from heaven because also um, all of this mana um, is connected back to the to our gods and so uh, you you inherit a certain amount but of course you build on that over your lifetime so I thought that was a uh, quite a, an interesting cultural overlap when I thought about when I heard uh, the name Mana, and for all intents and purposes, from now on, I'm only going to ever refer to this character as Mana, yeah, yeah. Um, because I mean, and and this is the fantastic thing about reimagining these characters is, is that um, one, I think the main one of the awesome things that I've learned as being part of uh, the Racial Draft podcast and all that is actually getting a, a, an insight into cultures that I've never I would never encountered in my lifetime. Um, I personally have never met anyone from Puerto Rico, so um, mainly because of the part of the world we're in, we don't really have uh, have too many interactions, which is uh, amazing. So um, being able to interact and just get a glimpse and insight into other cultures is, is fantastic, uh, but also uh, to see um, some of the, the cultural overlaps and some of the experiences of other cultures too, which is similar. So um, yeah, fantastic story. And that, thank you for that information because that's fascinating. And I d didn't know that about you know about your culture, about Ma Maori, and any of that. So thank you. That's fascinating. Well, I think we should motor ahead since we're own. We've been going at it for about ninety minutes, and we're only halfway yeah. through the round. So let's uh, pick up the pace a little bit and talk about the next pick, which was uh, the Asian delegation. There, uh, they picked. Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, and they provided an amazing piece of art with that. Um, I'll go ahead. Uh, that's the artist by Lauren Lienerberg. Um, you, you definitely should check it out on our various socials. I'm going to try to go through the story as fast as I can. And, um, you know, everyone kind of give me just a couple, just a couple lines on it. One second. Sorry, guys. It was a little bit, there we go. Japanese American Bucky Tanaka Barnes fought for his country against Japan and the Axis powers in World War II. He felt there was no greater honor and no better way to prove that he was loyal to the US than the fight alongside Captain America. After he was presumed dead following his last mission with Cap, his body was found by Japanese soldiers and taken home to Japan, where he was brainwashed and trained to be the ultimate revenge against the U.S. attacks in Japan during World War II. Um, you know, that's, that's the Bucky story in a nutshell. I'm sure it goes on uh, to talk about, you know, how he's 
um, he ends up coming back to the light. But um, yeah, what did what did everybody think about that pick? Loved it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I loved it. I love the art. Um, you yeah, know. aesthetically, it just makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think just like the um, just like the Asian Batman, you know, I, I I love when you know somebody makes a pick and you're like, oh, totally, of course, you know, where like just instinctively it makes sense, you know, where that person's, you know, characterization and like the and like the team, you know, line up. I thought this lined up so well. I I do not understand why this pick resonated and was so popular with so many people. I I like the pick. It's a great pick, but why? Did it res? Why did it get so much feedback out of all of the others? I'm just wondering. I think a big part about it was the aesthetic, um, the art that went along with it, the blending um, of the, you know, Winter Soldier is a very mysterious character, and there's a little bit of a Ronin aspect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and I, I think, I think I'm sorry, Michael. You were saying. Ahead. Uh, you know, and it, and just, you know, in terms of what the story set off in, in the person's imagination, reading the backstory, because you can imagine that whole history of Japanese internment in the United States and, you know, racial views back then and who was a traitor and who was allegiant and who could you trust and who could you not trust and mm-hmm. you know, your, your allegiance and especially Americans in the United States at that time from the countries that were fighting in the war, you know, where does my allegiance lie? Do I mm-hmm. believe some of this? Do I believe some of that? And also just because it's fascinating because, you know, we have this history in cinema and stories of like, you know, the Manchurian candidate, you know, mm-hmm. people that are being brainwashed to act against their interests or to be deep cover agents and, you know, stuff like that. So I think it plays into all of these different themes that just set your imagination off. Exactly. Great pick. Great pick. And I, and I think you made a good point, Adam. You know, sometimes with the backstories, less is more. Um, and it, you know, when you kind of give a jumping off point for the mm-hmm. students, it gives yeah. people more room to kind of let their imagination go about the different uh, directions that the character could right. play out. And it felt like you didn't have to bend uh, the race of the Winter Soldier too much right. for this pick. Um, and of course, I think like most people, uh, I enjoyed the aesthetic. I mean, you could probably see this fit walking down um, Main Street of Tokyo right now. Right. Mask and everything. <laughs> yeah, especially. Yeah. Oh, very true. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Very true. Very true. Very true. <laughs> so, yeah, um, uh, Joaquin, you, you jumped in a little while later, a little while before. Do you have anything to contribute on this pick? Maybe not. All right, we'll give one. You know, know, it's it's interesting just looking at everybody's names. You know, you talk about cultural assimilation. You know, just look at the names of the people that Uh, whoops, sorry. You know, in in this chat, and you could see just by last (laughs) names, first names, surnames, like the intermingling of cultures. But yeah, Joaquin, what was your take on this pick? Uh, sorry about that. I I I, I've just been listening. Uh, uh, sorry, to, sorry to cut you off, man. But uh, yeah, I've, I've I've just been sitting here listening, and um, a lot a lot of these uh, a lot of these picks were uh, really damn good picks, and they happened really fast. Uh, I think that um, with uh, the Winter Soldier, as far as the uh, Asian delegation goes, and uh, me being stationed in uh, 
Okinawa, Japan, and seeing how rich their culture is, uh, pretty much almost, and I, I, I can I can go along with uh, Tomati's stories uh, along with this, is that their culture is so rich, like pretty much every single character that they have picked, uh, it just fits. It's just like, wow, you know, like, dang, these guys are good. Um, so yeah, I, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut in or, I, but like I said, I just jumped in and I just started listening. I want to hear from May. Oh, and hi, Joaquin. <laughs> hi, Annie. How are you? <laughs> hi. I actually agree uh, with what Joaquin just said. I just want to say that, 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 that the Asian team has been less is more. Yes. What about you, May? What, you, what were your thoughts on the pick? I think that the pick and this, it just, like everybody's saying, it fit with the storyline. It was just like a perfect match. Like, and how you guys are saying less is more, like, it was just spot on. I think we're getting a little bit of network issue with May, but um, we, we, we plow ahead. Um, Tomati, yes. you're up. Your pick. Cool. Um, with, with our pick, um, we were very, really, really surprised that um, Daredevil was actually still on the board. Um, we had planned plans to have him very early on, um, but we kind of let him slip down the draft board. But anyway, I mean, let's, let's get into this. Um, as you can see, we have fan cast actor Manu Bennett um, to play him in some type of role or movie. Um, he may look familiar. He's been in quite a few American shows. He played um, Dick on the Arrow show. Yes, that's right. Um, Can I just say Hamana Hamana? <laughs> yeah, uh, Manu, Manu, Manu Bennett, he was uh, Deathstroke, wasn't he? He was in, Deathstroke uh, as well. Yeah, I, I've, seen, I've seen him and I, 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 uh, I like his, uh, a lot of the characters that he plays. I saw him in uh, 30 Days of Night and uh, he was, right. he, he's a really good actor. I really do like him. And so, um, yeah, and so, so naturally we decided he'd be the uh, fan cast for that. But just to get into the story, um, so Machu Muru was the son of a Māori immigrant in Hell's Kitchen, New York, part of uh, Polynesian diaspora, I guess. Uh, his parents moved to the US so his father could pursue an, uh, a career in MMA fighting. <coughs> his parents were also um, pro-Indigenous pro rights. Um, naturally, it was um, based on uh, many of the movements that are here in, in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, and so relocating to another part of the world, they decided that they would uh, continue on with that. Um, they'd often not only support and advocate for Indigenous peoples, but for, for all peoples. I mean, really any people that have faced oppression and suppression. And you can see this um, as a pretty consistent theme too with um, some of the earlier picks uh, for the Polynesian team as well. Um, it would be at an event like that that uh, Machu would lose his father. Um, in, this, in the story, a white supremacist um, steals a truck and plows through a crowd, a crowd of people. Um, and, and then what, ha what happens is that um, Machu's father pushes them out of the way, but um, unfortunately, unfortunately gets killed um, as part of that. Um, the, chem the truck crashes and... Mm -hmm. Machu is exposed to chemicals and stuff which blinds him. So kind of similar to the original Daredevil uh, story as well. So tried to weave that in. Um, his mother, of course, stricken with, uh, stricken with grief, um, ta actually takes him uh, back to New Zealand uh, to, to go back to her tribe. 
and to heal. Um, so, as, but also as part of that, an uncle of of Machu um, takes him under his wing um, to raise him as his own son, raise him as his son as well. Um, father, his his uncle being part of the special services as well um, in, in the armed forces, uh, trains him, um, you know, introduces him to various fighting styles. But of course, as we know, similar to the Daredevil's origins, um, the power his his senses have been heightened, superhuman levels, and which enables him to, I guess, uh, master all these different fighting styles, but also um, at, at incredible levels. Um, anyway, he would return, eventually return to Hell's Kitchen, uh, practice as a, a human rights lawyer, uh, which I know, and uh, shout out to Annie and shout out to um, She-Hulk as well. I know that's a, a very common Yeah, thing. Jewish uh, She-Hulk is so pleased, building bridges in solidarity. Absolutely. Um, um, but he would use all the skills that he also um, gained over his lifetime as well to fight against uh, those that would, you know, oppress uh, the community that he lived in. Um, one of those, he actually turned up to uh, Mona Kea, which is uh, the protectors of, uh, of, of course, the, Mon of the mountain in, in Hawaii, protesting against uh, the placing of a telescope there. And so they've been doing that for a while. But that's kind of just an example of a whole lot of different movements that are happening all over the world that, um, that are of, of relevance around indigenous rights. Uh, Blue Marvel witnessed this, and if you get right back to thinking about um, the origins of the Blue Marvel character that I reimagined, he's, he's also part Hawaiian, right? Part Hawaiian and part Maori um, in the reimagining, and so naturally he has a, an interest in that. Notice what was happening there. O reached out to, to Machu and offered to support him. Um, Machu eventually becomes part of the team, um, builds alongside Amade Amadeus uh, Seal, which is our reimagining of Amadeus Cho, um, a danger room for the team. Now, this is a nod, of course, to, to uh, X-Men X -Men comics and everything else with their danger room. Um, so it builds that and help, and basically helps to train uh, the, the team and so becomes an important part of the team. Uh, so that was my reimagining of Daredevil. So I tried to weave a whole lot of things. And like, and just to go back to the Winter Soldier pick, that race bend seemed really natural. This race bend took a bit of time to, to weave and to create. And so, um, and so that's where it was. So there we go. I have a couple, couple of uh, follow-up questions, if you don't mind. Um, Only if they're easy. <laughs> well, I don't know how easy <laughs> they are. I mean, one thing about um, sort of the traditional... Matt Murdock character is a yeah. major role that his Catholicism plays, you know, particularly in the dichotomy between, you know, him as a, a lawbreaker and a law follower, as well as a devout religious man and someone who takes on the persona mm -hmm. of the devil. Um, is, is that layer present at all in, in your reimagining of the character? Um, no, not so much. I mean, uh, the reason why I steered away from Catholicism and I guess Christianity is because I guess within within our culture is that, you know, I mean, just like with other indigenous peoples too, um, Christianity was brought in as a colonizing, as a colonizing tool, right? And so it was brought in a tool to, um, as the first wave of colonization, really. So the missionaries were the first people here. Uh, so they were sent ahead of the actual settlers and colonizers. And so um, I kind of wanted to stay away from that. I had tried to tie it into a spiritual element by saying that he um, 
when he went home to his people, they taught him incantations and karakia and stuff like that to help him level up, but also to have um, the uh, the connection to the to the, the spiritual aspects of his culture. Now, the thing about the being perceived as the devil, um, I think how that would tie into this reimagining is that kind of wanted to have he wanted to find something that would kind of in in incite fear i guess in those he was he was um uh, dealing with and so um it's maybe a bit of a nod to to batman why be a bat for -hmm. example um and so so yeah um so that's that so no i didn't really um tie in the uh the the catholic Um, why would you i mean why would you it was so just catholicism was so destructive to indigenous people why would you yeah are there are there any maori like stories about vigilant like are there any cultural stories any myths or any stories in the culture about sort of Mm -hmm. like um a hero or a vigilante or anything that was going to be my next question synchronicity yeah a great question i mean I mean, we have lots of heroes, uh, but I think around the, um, the, the, the elements of vigilantism, um, we have a concept within Māori culture called utu, and utu means um, it's superficially being translated as me being revenge, um, you know, actions motivated by revenge, but it's kind of more than that. It's, it's about um, rebalancing. So if there's been a slight against you, you know, in order to rebalance that, you have to take certain actions to do that. Um, so, they, and so we have a million stories of, of, of warriors and all, you know, men or women who have exacted utu um, as, as part, as a way of rebalancing things. Because un, until that, until those actions are taken, you know, everything is out of balance. Um, so, so yeah, we have, like I said, we have a million stories of that. I mean, whole tribe, tribal warfare has started uh, to rebalance those things, wow. it can be a minor slight. It can be a huge slight against a, an entire tribe, for example. So, the, so we have are that there, concept. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you like, are are there any movies in in New Zealand or anything that sort of tell any of those stories from more of a like maybe a magical or superpowered? Sure. Uh, you know. Um, not so much super powered, but definitely on the spiritual level. Okay. Um, I think there's a, I think maybe on in the States, I'm not too sure what, um, network it's on, but, um, Deadlands okay. is, uh, is, is a story, it's something you may want to check out. Um, yeah. it's a, a new series. It actually stemmed yeah. from a, a movie uh, called Deadlands, which was okay. all in, all in the Maori language, but has been picked up by uh, network and remade, um, or, with all Māori actors, but that talks about a whole lot of things about uh, the rebalancing of of things, you know, the human world uh, fighting the spiritual world and stuff like that. And so there are there are things, but no, there haven't yet uh, okay. been any kind of super wow. super powered individuals who have done that. So that's why Tamati is here. Um, sorry, yeah. Adam, I was just no, gonna I was going to say I'd love Tomati, to see more of that. Go ahead. Sorry, Tamati needs to do a film and TV rec thread for Maori media that we should consume, and then I'm going to shut up and we should move on. Please. Yeah, we should probably jump into the um, Native American team. If anyone, I mean, unless anyone has any final uh, questions for Tamati. I just have one quick comment. Um, this continues the Polynesian team's pattern of uh, making picks that uh, the Latinx team wanted to make. 
um, <laughs> and doing them better. So uh, I hate this. I hate this so much. I hate it too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Tomati is going to win. He's so good. I just... So Yeah, we tried to do, do these characters justice as well. I mean, especially... And I, I know that the, um, the, the America Chavez pick in particular is probably mm. still... If I may, Tomati, the, the one thing that I don't like about your character is the fact that you took Daredevil away from the Native American delegation. <laughs> one pick. How dare you? Now we got to fight, man. Yeah, sorry, we, brother. We were, surprised, <laughs> we were surprised that Daredevil was finally chosen after so long but. man when i when i when i saw him pick daredevil i was like ooh, ooh, ooh. We were, he, he did it again he did it again oh he did it again <laughs> well yeah totally i mean we were looking up you know we were going to fantasy <laughs> comics league we were going to fantasy comics league and seeing you know who's scoring you know who's appearing you know what's happening currently in comics and as we scanned on that list, we were like, oh my God, Daredevil, like nobody's taking Daredevil yet. And so we were trying to figure out, like, you know, so how does the backstory work, you know, and balance that versus some other things we wanted to pick or whatever. And like, then at the moment, well, fuck it, Tomati took him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, well, shit. I guess we lost Daredevil. Damn it. Hey, Mike, we're going to move on. Damn good, too. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, it's yeah. very humbling to be. In, in, in this kind of project with Tomati because it's just ridiculous. I want to hear from May all about Silver Banshee and her, her psychological take on, on all of this. Perfect. Oh yeah, I'd love, love to hear that too. <laughs> guys are putting me on the spot here. Um, I don't, let me see if I can pull up the story. I'm, I'm on my phone right now. As you can tell, I'm in my vehicle, but... Um, let me... Michael can read it. Or if you could, he can read it. Or Joaquin. Joaquin can read. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Joaquin. <laughs> oh, what? You guys want me to read it? Yes. 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 Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, I don't <laughs> even have it on 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 my phone right now. Okay. I'm just. Uh, I, I will read it. Go, go ahead, Mike. Go ahead and read it, and I'll uh, and we'll explain. The whole, the whole thing. All right. Forgive my pronunciation. Thank you. All right. She is a Yaqui, along with her sister. They are twins. Her name is Mi Shahamut, Moon Woman. Her sister is Ta'a, Sun Woman. Mi Cha is jealous of her sister, despite the fact that they are twins. Although both beautiful, she feels her sister is favored more than she. Although loved equally, she turns her back on her family. She watches her people... Sorry. Um, she watches her people perform a deer dance, making sacrifices to their god. Late in the night, she awakens from a vision, tying her sister up, taking her from her sleep, placing her in the same place the people sacrifice the animals. She slays her sister. The Yaqui gods see this and become angry. They strip her of her family's blood, take away her sanity, and make her neither living nor dead. As a result of her being judged by the spirit world, she's forced to walk amongst this world. The gods give her a scream of thunder and pain, superhuman strength and flight. Taking Misha Hummut's sacrifice, they grant her wish. But because her heart was twisted with jealousy, they took from her what was most important. So now caring little for anyone, she goes, by, she goes after other people's hopes. That hope has a name, Superman. 
And that's the backstory, guys. Hey, Mike, uh, are you, you, you're not Native American, are you? No, I'm right. <laughs> because 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 every 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 single time I give you these names and you you pronounce them perfectly and I'm just like we, he's we gotta have he's gotta have some red skin in him right Mike is your brother from another mother <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping no, no, no. kind of like flip on the name but you just read it the way we read it we were just like. I think that's how you say it. But yeah. yeah, he said it. He said it perfectly. Um, yeah, he, uh, like when I when I did Bane and I gave him the name Shashbizaya, I was like, oh wow, he pronounced it perfectly. So I was like, oh wow, he must have some uh, some native blood in him. <laughs> but yeah, May, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, I, on on the character, what what, what you put in, uh, what you you know, what your connection to it. Oh, well, let's see. <laughs> um, the whole, I think, like, the the names, I, it was kind of just thrown at me last minute, like, okay, we need names, we need names, and, of course, I know nothing about the Yaki tribe, um, and just so happens that day I met an individual from the Yaki tribe, mm -hmm. and, um, I had mentioned that to Joaquin and he was just like, okay, we're going to go with that. And I'm like, oh crap. Okay. Now we got to look for names. And I had to Google and research and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, perfect. And it just so happens like the two names, sun woman and moon woman, it just fit perfect with the, the transitions of the characters. And, um, and then we were talking about like, what Joaquin had mentioned a ritual that Silver Banshee that was performing or that had been involved in. So I was like, oh, great. You made me do more research. Okay. Then I had to look for a ceremony to kind of connect the two, which is the deer dancing. And um, I was just going crazy. My wheels were turning and I was just like, okay, okay, I got it. I got it. So the deer dancing does involve a sacrifice, which is what uh, Silver Banshee had did to her twin sister. And um, as Martine had mentioned, the jealousy and the, uh, the envy and so forth, it just overtook her and transitioned her into something else that what she was trying to become, therefore became Silver Banshee. And as much as I try to search for an animal name to represent with a, like a howler to represent, to give her a new name, it was just like, uh, it's, it's one of those languages where you, you had to really dig deep to find certain words and so forth. But um, that was my take on it. Um, and Joaquin had written the story, which as, Joaquin, the storyteller, um, he is. I it just it just fit perfect, and um, he also did the uh, fan cast. He found the fan cast for the character, um, which he sent me a picture, and it just matched who we were working with. Um, I, I I wish he he sent that picture. Um, I know the one that's on the on the Discord shows 
uh, our character or our fan cast in normal form. But the picture he sent me, it was like a ghostly form. And I, I was think, just like, I that okay. Was, I think that pic is on the Facebook and the uh, Instagram page. I was able to track those down. But Joaquin, tell us oh, okay. a little bit more about the fan cast. Uh, uh, well, the uh, fan cast, um, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a little bit biased on this one. The fan cast, uh, the character, or the, uh, I shouldn't say character, the uh, woman that I would have uh, have portrayed as uh, uh, Silver Banshee was uh, Sheila Tusi. And um, uh, she's acted in... Gosh, I don't know how many movies she acted in. Thunderheart. She acted in. Um, uh, let's see, The New World. Um, she, she's done. I don't know how many movies, but uh, the thing was was that the the character of um, uh, Silver Banshee was loosely based on on a movie that I saw Sheila Tusi uh, star in, called uh, Silent Tongue, and. From what I understand from Joaquin Phoenix's brother, River Phoenix, uh, that was his last movie before he passed. And um, it starred Sheila Tusi, and she played this, uh, this ghostly character. And as I told May when we talked earlier today and yesterday, that she was actually really scary <laughs> in that movie. Uh, you know, even as an adult looking at the pictures, I'm just like, oh my God, she looks really scary. But um, yeah, I, I, I wanted uh, uh, Silver Banshee to, to uh, because in the comic book, it's, it's, a, it's a sister and a brother. Uh, but the route that I went, I was like, well, let's not, why not make, let's make them twins, you know, and, and one's jealous of the other. Because uh, that's exact, almost exactly how it happened in the uh, comic book. Um, uh, there was a, a brother who was going to be given all this stuff by his family, and the sister got jealous and all this other stuff. So I figure, why not make this this character, this Native American Silver Banshee, a character of jealousy, anger, and um, just 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 go all out i mean like i mean for her to for her to uh sacrifice her own sister you know some of the some of some of my native american friends are like ah dude i don't know man <laughs> but some a lot of them they were they were just I mean, like you know what dude just go there i said like, you guys want to go there let's go there <laughs> we'll go there and yeah she's gonna kill her own sister and the ceremony that she performs it it, it, it flips on her and considering the fact that the Yaki gods that she's sacrificing her sister to are good gods, they're gods of good, um, why not just have them be like, okay, we'll give her what she wants, but at the same time, there's, there's a price to pay for that. So they stripped her of her blood and, you know, uh, because she doesn't, the fact that she sacrificed her own blood they took hers as well as as kind of a punishment but at the same time uh you know she 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 just got stripped of her sanity and you know i was like okay well this 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 is this is kind of this is kind of good keep going and they said well you know uh there's a picture that i saw on uh 
on uh, the internet where she was holding uh, Superman's cape. Why don't you use that picture? And I do remember in some of the comic books, she actually did beat Superman. Um, and I was like, ooh, wow, this is a good one. But yeah, that, that, was, that was kind of the whole thing that uh, we were going for. Um, May was the one that uh, came up with the, uh, she came up with a lot of the backstory. So shout outs to May. And, uh, uh, you know, I just, I just kind of pieced it all together and uh, put my little two cents in and uh, so did some of my friends. And then, yeah, you guys got Silver Banshee of the Native American aspect. All right. Sounds good. And, and um, I just, Michael, one question. Yes. I'm trying to remember my, my old person memory is not so good. Um, in the, the Marvel 1602 series, did they race spend any characters to make them native? I believe but, they did, but I can't remember offhand who. I think they did. Yeah. Or, or um, at least one character. I remember. Yeah, but I can't remember who. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, after. me too. Um, but, you know, other girls know, other people on this podcast know comics. No, I know. I was just going to the host. I, <laughs> Annie, if you know, please yeah. let the people know. I actually can't remember. I'm Googling it right now. <laughs> yeah. rather, than, rather than slow the, the momentum of the podcast, let's jump into the yeah. final pick of round 10. Uh, unfortunately, Kia had to leave for a while. So um, it was the first Green Lantern. We finally got a Green Lantern off the board. Oh, yeah. Yay! Um, and, while, and some people might say it's bad news because it's Hal Jordan. But I say it's good news because Hal Jordan is now no longer a white man. <laughs> and I really want to know what Kia has in mind for Mr. Jordan. I would have loved to find, out, find that out from Kia. But once again, Kia, mysterious in her backstories. So she only gave us Hal Jordan. And you know, Hal, Hal, Hal is, a, is a guy, he's with a lot of exposure in the comics. He's still yeah. you know, the first Earth Green Lantern. Uh, they say- I mean, I gave Kia a gift, right? In the, our last podcast. Yes. By, by saying, look, you could always, you could always fan cast um, Taika Waititi. Yeah. Being Jewish and Maori. Yeah. You know? you know, that's interesting, by the way. I don't mean to interrupt, but we were talking ahead. about, you know, synergy and comics and everything. Think about that. You know, Taika Waititi, his, his original last name is Cohen, right? And when he first started his career, he used the last names Cohen. And it just shows, like, that, you know, we have Thor and, you know, comics, and then we have a Ma- Maori uh, Jewish person, you know. Interesting to me. I don't know. Can I just clear something up? Um, in, in 1602, they did race bend a character, and it was an, uh, it was Steve Rogers. He was just called Rogers, but he was a, and I'm reading this, I remember now, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, Native American bodyguard, whatever that means. Okay, well. Game wrong, and try. wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure Neil Gaiman tried his best. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, so so I, I mean that come, that concludes the tenth round. Um, you know, we, we covered a lot of we covered took a little time for us to cover the round. So I guess we'll just jump right to nominations. 
for uh, from the ladies? Annie, do you have any, do you have any nominations? No, I didn't think we were doing nominations this uh, this sesh. So uh, no, no no nominations from the Jewish team. I think we're cutting it too right. far down to the wire. Uh, May, May, and uh, Joaquin, do you guys plan on having any nominations this time out? Or are you going uh, straight picks? I didn't know that we were going to do that. Um, I would have to. I mean, you guys pick second in the round, so you know you may not you may not need to do nominations if you don't want to. Um, I'll leave that up, Joaquin. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I do know that I do know that S has nominations. Yeah, would love to. So. Um, <clears throat> So going back to the, the conversation we had up top of the podcast, you know, talking about uh, strategy, uh, you know, and, and, and working strategy sort of deep into the rounds and the scoring system and whatnot, as well as the fact that it is Martin's birthday. Did I mention it's Martin's birthday? <laughs> Happy birthday, Martin. Happy birthday. Um, we've got a special uh, strategic plus uh, birthday edition, you know, of our polls this week. Um, but I will leave the best for last. Um, so we've got three picks this week. Um, you know, as always, you know, the Latinx team has to remind everyone, you know, how much amazing top tier talent is still out there that has not been picked yet. Um, and, and this week we will do so with Deadpool. Ooh. So Deadpool is still, yeah, you got the shirt on, so... <laughs> I had to dig through my closet to find it. <laughs> so Deadpool is um, uh, one of my favorite characters, obviously has super popular movies out. Um, you know, actually uh, not only has his own book, but uh, you know, shows up at random times in crossovers and remixes and special editions, you know, with all kinds of other people and considering that um, the character is so fourth wall breaking. Um, you know, I hate to be, I hate to be this guy, but I am, you know, as the host slash commissioner, I, I have to inform you that uh, Deadpool will also be a nomination for Kia. So we will have our first Plot head, twist. head, we will have our first head to head poll where the people have to decide which side Deadpool goes to? I scared of Kia. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, so I should give the pitch then for why Deadpool, um, you know, comes to our side. Um, so Deadpool is canonically a, an incorrigible, inappropriate horn dog. And if anyone has ever watched Spanish TV, they know that Deadpool is a character right out of Spanish TV. I mean, I remember growing up with, uh, you know, all of these shows where just, it was just like oozing sexuality out of like all these different directions and yeah, like <laughs> short dresses and all this kind of stuff. And like, and it was, and it was intense and it was playful and like your kids are watching. Um, you know, and I think Deadpool could totally you know, be one of those characters, you know, I almost want to say that Deadpool, um, you know, tried out to be the Bumblebee Man, you know, and didn't get the role, and that got him going in his, like, military career. Um, Does he get a mustache? 
<laughs> but um, uh, so so I think I think Deadpool would just come straight out of Spanish TV. You know, I also have to say that like you know, Deadpool is all Deadpool is also uh, canonically pansexual. I think yeah. um, you know, so it's wonderful to have uh, you know representation of a variety of different you know queer characters. And uh, you know, I've always found, um, at least for me, you know, Deadpool was like a really interesting version of masculinity um, that, uh, you know, besides the fact that like in the second movie, they basically fridged his girlfriend, you know, like that sucked. But, you know, but, but, but otherwise, like it's a, it's a really interesting, you know, character when it comes to sexuality. So anyway, for how weird and inappropriate and fun loving, you know, and horn doggy he is, um, you know, I think Deadpool, uh, you know, deserves to be part of our team. Okay. Uh, another, what, the other nomination? All right, so I'm gonna let Martin do our next nominations, our next two, starting with Constantine. Okay, so can everyone hear me? Yes. Yes, you okay. can so, Okay, that's good. Uh, so, um, the idea behind choosing Constantine as uh, someone to add to this poll is that Latinx is actually one of the fastest uh, growing communities in the United Kingdom. And I did research on that. So just to make sure on this pick, and it is one of the fastest growing kind of um, communities growing in the United Kingdom. So, and he's in a lot of stuff and he's he was munching in that poll that's like maybe the black delegation should pick but he wasn't picked so like that really put him fresh in my head as well and the idea kind of like that i was going kind of go with it is to as since john constantine is fairly uh portrayed as kind of like a trickster kind of a con man kind of a individual I wanted to go with the idea of he's tied to the Aztec trickster god, Coyoto, who is, you know, this god, the god of mischief, the god of stories, which explains why John Constantine can always kind of like talk himself out of, talk his way out of any kind of situation. He's also the god of uninhibited male sexuality. So this, and so he, well, it, very much would also fall into the representation because could be be has taken male lovers female lovers he is also a shapeshifter so he can be a female as well and so having john constantine be tied to this god and essentially making him bi or maybe even pansexual at that we can go into that as well so that's just more representation on other fronts, not just Latinx. So that's why I kind of went, went with John Constantine or Juan, you know, very easy <laughs> name change. Plus another one that's racking up a lot of points. Yeah, yeah, he currently, he's on uh, like in DC. In many respects, in many respects, he's scoring a lot of points. <laughs> okay. And your third, drum roll. Deadpool seems to have an affinity for Mexican food, I, w I will say. Oh, we have the chimichangas, yes. Yeah. We also have Lady Death, right Deadpool has been tied with. Yeah, that is true. So, you know, 
you know, Thanos can go be with Hela, and then, you know, Santa Muerte can go be with Deadpool. <laughs> Boom, done. Like, she's, last, not, she's not worried about it. But last but not least, Narden. Uh-huh. Well, third, third. Right. Yeah. So this one is a not so much a points pick. It's a <laughs> sentimental pick. And we've had this established many times in our discussions and me and S. Uh, this is most this pick is only mostly here because it's like my birthday gift, basically. And it is Kyle Rayner. Ah, yeah. The best green. <laughs> Yes, the best lantern period. Let's he, get that. He, he, he's Mexican in the comics or part he's he's one his dad, okay. his dad is Mexican. He's a Mexican American CIA agent named Gabriel Vasquez who went undercover in Ireland and under the cover of Aaron Rayner. And that's when he met Kyle's mother of Maura Mor Mora. Uh so uh they fell in love, they got married, they had tiny little Kyle, and then they had to go on the run because Kyle's dad decided to get off of the field, to get out of the field, because like now he has a family. But the CIA didn't want him to do that. So they started kind of hunting him down. Basically the story was, you need to leave with Kyle and in order to do this, to give it an, a believable excuse, I'm going to have to hit you to give like a domestic abuse. Like, this is why I'm taking my son and leaving this man, even though, you know, it was a thing of like, I don't want to do this, but to protect you and to protect our son, I have to. Interesting. Yeah. So basically this idea is, uh, we're just going to make him more Mexican than he already is. Yes. He would be. Uh, we're take And he is also now canonically pansexual. Because he has to fit the theme. Yeah, the theme. This week, uh, this week everyone's pansexual. Everyone's pansexual. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so like with Kyle, I said this as a joke. Mm -hmm. It's basically, you're scraping the mail off the wheat bread. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> That's the joke that I had with S. And I just felt like I had to put it on here. All right. <laughs> I know who I'm. I'm who I'm voting for for the ball. <laughs> Anti Mayo pick. <laughs> well, I love it. I love Kyle Rayner. He definitely is under undervalued and underappreciated in the current canon, and mm -hmm. hoping that he makes a triumphant return. Me too. So yeah, I mean, I guess those are the. I I guess those are the nominees. There's not a fourth one, right? Do no. Yeah, we have we have one. No, just three. No, I thought we were going to leave that one over. Okay, <laughs> got it, got it, got now, it. One thing, one thing we've been kicking around since I, this now's a good time to prepare you all, since I have more more captains than I've ever had on the show. Is I think what we're going to go for with round twelve. So you don't have to worry about it in this coming round. But in round twelve, I think we're going all polls. So Ooh. we're going all polls for round 12. Plot so, twist. So the way it's going to work, <laughs> no! next week, next week, you're going oh, to give me your poll picks. And you're going to either come on the show and, and lobby for your poll picks or you know, give me information that I need 
to lobby for your poll picks. Then you'll spend the whole week campaigning for the various poll picks. And, you know, if there's some, you know, if there's some head to head, it's going to go by who gets the most votes. Uh, if uh, multiple teams win the, the same poll and we'll, we'll go, we'll do it from there, but it's going to be a poll week, 12th, 12th round, all polls. I hate this. <laughs> and by the way, we have the number one pick in that round. Yeah. That's <laughs> That's Did Kia come up with this? Yeah, I think Kia came up with this, right? No, I came up with this. You Kia, came up with this? Yeah, I came up with this. Okay. I, I'm, so we know who to blame. I'm pro-pole and Kia's anti-pole. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So I decided to, she wanted to eliminate polls, and I decided we're going to go all polls. <laughs> <laughs> so 12th uh-huh. okay. round, all polls. Get your nominations ready. No exceptions, or I will have to create nominations for you, and you don't want that. Now, to be clear, <laughs> do we mean that it polls everybody has to vote, or everybody has to pick somebody Polish? <laughs> I don't know. I... We can probably find someone who's Polish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we all pick the same three characters? I can't even name Polish characters. Right, I know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That would be great. That would be great. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we, we've, we've been going at it for a couple hours. We should probably, um, you know, wind it down at this rate with as many people on the show. It's going to take another hour for everyone to say their goodbyes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's well, um, I'll be the first because I have to drive home. I got to right. pack. I got a long drive tomorrow. So right. it was nice seeing all you guys chatting. Nice you. you're, you're welcome anytime. Stay sober on the road. But we can't. <laughs> we can't vouch for what happens once you get home. <laughs> Don't forget my drink. Don't forget my drink. Right. <laughs> All right, All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. So, anyone else have any final words before they they say uh, they you know just to summarize the last round and the, the round to come? I'm very glad you told us next week with all polls because that changes who I'm going to draft. Yeah, not, not the 11th round, the 12th round. So, yeah, Sean, you've been pretty quiet. So, you know, give us, give us your final thoughts. My final thoughts are, I can't believe it took the last pick in round 10 to get a Green Lantern. And you guys didn't even take the good one. <laughs> All right. What about you, Adam? Any final thoughts? No, I mean, obviously, just everything we're doing shows that these comic book companies need to hire more diverse writers and more di- to, to g- we shouldn't have all these little indie comic book companies popping up all over when some of these people can be hired, you know, to create these characters, you know, for the big publishing. Co- if we're this creative, then professional writers should be able to be this creative. Really good point. Annie, is Annie, has Annie, is Annie still here? I think she departed. Oh. She shalomed out. Okay. Yeah. So you'll, you'll, yeah, she had mentioned she wasn't feeling super well, so wasn't going to be able to make it through the whole thing. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, pass along uh, the, the all, the all polls <clears throat> around 12, Adam. I will. You know, and, and not just people from Poland. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, what about you, Martin? Any final words? Any last second, uh, last second campaigning for Kyle Rayner? Uh, no, not not really. I was worried at certain points that he was going to get picked earlier because I've had some conversations with Sean on Twitter, and I thought Sean was going to pick him. I'm surprised yeah, he never did. Jonas, Jonas, <laughs> he is. Yeah, but uh, so I mean. You know, he's, he's my favorite Lantern. He's the best Lantern. Hal Jordan even said that. You you can find the comic panel where he said that Com, that Kyle Rayner is the best Lantern. Hmm. There's no arguing that. But yeah, Hal Jordan got picked before. I, I do like our Far Sector Lantern. She's great. Joe. I'll, I'll put her up there. You're going to put her in your poll? Well, maybe. Oh, oh. Maybe. <laughs> Now that you give me the idea, I might. I was gonna, I was gonna take her at one point because her origin is tied to Black Lives Matter. That's true. And she oh. can, she, out of all the lanterns I studied, hers was the best that I could shape the story to be representative of white privilege. <laughs> oh, Sean. You still that have would be amazing, Sean. Sean. So timely. Please you, do it. I mean, you're the villain. I have to do this now. I mean, you're the villain of the draft, so lean into it. Lean into the villainy. Um, Tomate, you have a you have any final words for the, the, the people? Yeah, I mean, firstly, it's always a pleasure um, coming on, on the podcast. Um, I realize I missed the first uh, couple of, of draft picks from the, from, our, from the round that's just finished. Um, just to say, to, to Aquaman, um, that the, the Aquaman pick was was I'll have to say I, I enjoyed that pick because then I thought, cool, another another um underwater tribe to work with. <laughs> so there was that. Um but otherwise I'll just I guess I should probably put in my apologies now for next week because it seems like every every other week I'm having to apologize for for selecting people that oh, no. they obviously had in mind. So oh, no. um, apologies <laughs> in advance, people, because there will be another one next week uh, that oh. I think. I'm pretty sure they thought I was going to pick them. So, so yeah, but otherwise, um, and the, the backstories every week are fantastic. And they, they just seem to be getting better. And I mean, to hear you, Martin, say that you, you did research. I mean, it goes to show that, you know, they, they care that people are taking into creating these backstories. So all power to everyone. So, yeah. Tomati, can, uh, uh, can you give us a hint as to who you're going to make furious next week? <laughs> <laughs> who I'm going to make furious? No, I couldn't do that. Yes, come on. <laughs> um, I think, well, p the only clue I'll give is that uh, it's, another, it's another female pick. Um, and she has been spoken about in previous, in, in previous picks, in previous uh, podcasts. So I'll leave it at that because I, I don't want anybody to, um, to ruin my It plan. better not be Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl? <laughs> I, can, I can guarantee it's not. It's not, it's not squirrel girl. <laughs> Definitely squirrel girl. All right. I have Michael. Yes. I wish one thing, you know, I'd like to tie a, tom, uh, a comic book recommendation to sort of what we're doing. There's a great comic book and I try to shout it out on Twitter and it's now nominated for a couple of Eisners for this year. It's called Little Bird. And I don't know if anybody else has read the comic book Little Bird. It's very short. I think it was five issues. And what it is, is it's sort of this allegorical, supernatural, magical retelling of the white 
um, Christian colonization of Canada mm -hmm. and how it overtook the um, native population. And it's also allegorical to the United States. The art is absolutely fantastic. You'll get sucked in. Um, it brings a comic book aesthetic to that story in that there's supernatural and heroes and things like that. But it's this amazing just retelling of this white Christian colonization of the native peoples of Canada. And it's just really amazing. It's called Little Bird. And I wish I could remember the authors and artists. I can't. But it was only a, a couple of issue run. I'm sure it's available digitally. So quick recommendation. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. And um, I, I mean, we got to leave the best for last. Marquee, tie a bow on everything. Uh, ha, ha. I don't know if I can tie a bow on everything, but I will say, I feel like from the competitive aspect, it's not just about the points anymore. I'm detecting a lot of competition in terms of crafting a powerful, compelling story. You know? And I think that's a good and healthy thing. Like, I feel like <laughs> the competition aspect has actually spilled over into the narrative aspect. And actually, I feel the intensity sort of picking up as we get closer and closer to the end of things. So super impressive, guys. That, that's all I have to say. I don't know if that puts a bow in it, but definitely the excitement is really there for the next couple of rounds. Definitely, Mark. And, you know, I, I'll be honest with everybody. Um, we're not really looking at points. I mean, we'd love, we would love to get... We would love to get... Clearly. Yeah, we, we would love to get points in this... We would love to get points, but I think for me and Annie, like, and I know for Annie who was involved before I was, like, it's more about, you know, these characters and their narratives and creating the characters. But, um, yeah, we'd love to score points, but, you know, hey. <laughs> I still say there'll be lots of plot twists within, like, yeah. the, like mm -hmm. the, the scoring's yeah. not going to go the way people think it's going to go, and You're there's right. going to be some shocking results. Yeah. Maybe. I, <laughs> I, 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 have, I have my thoughts about who's running away with it on the point scale but um you know i'll wait till the draft is over and we we do our our uh we, we get our experts in the breakdown to break break down the picks but um i'm loving the backstories i you know it's it's amazing to see just how i didn't i didn't i gotta admit i didn't expect uh the the amount of research the amount of preparation and the depth uh that was going to go into these backstories um so every time you know Obviously, I, I, I rib you guys about all the, the typing that I have to do in order to put these things up on social media. But, you know, I, I, there, there's so much creativity. Hey, and, you know, Ma Michael, there's something called cut and paste or copy paste. <laughs> yes, but there's, there's also a thing called proofreading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need an editor. That's true. Yeah, so, but touche. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, like, listen, guys, uh, listeners, anyone out there, if you're not checking out all, us on the various socials, if, you know, obviously listen to the podcast, obviously let the people know, um, you know, each one, teach one as far as making a friend and letting them find out about the podcast. Um, but check us out on Twitter, check us out on Instagram, check us out on Facebook, um, hit, hit up everyone, uh, everyone who's on uh, social media, feel free to shout out your uh, social media uh, at names and um you know hit up the writers uh hit, i mean the the team captains let them know what you you know especially leading up to round 12 that's going to be all polls if you've got some possibilities for the polls now's a great time to, th to throw those names out 
You and, know some Polish people get in there. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to say something earlier. Um, what I've noticed in the back half of the draft, it's been the rise of the co-captain. Like originally it was just toast and task, and now it's half and half. We've got we've got Martin, we've got Adam, and we've got May. That's right. It's 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 the rise a, of the co-captain. Yeah, Tomati, where where's your co-captain? <laughs> Tomati's a one man band. Bring in bring in your daughter. Bring one of your daughters as, as a co-captain. <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> But um, no, that's great, guys. Um, I guess it's I guess it's time to say goodbye, and hopefully, no one steps on my catchphrase. But you know, until next time, all things are possible. <laughs>